Amen. You know, it's, uh, it is exciting when you just sort of falls into place, you know, because really in, a, in a, a worship gathering, the spiritual pinnacle of the service was what we just had. It's when we have confessed, received His forgiveness, shared it with one another, and then just in the flow of the moment, joined in praise and doxology to God. And the, uh, it's th- that is the pinnacle of the, the service together. And now we, we gather, having been cleansed and received from God, and now ready to, to hear His his word. You may be wondering what's going on up here. You know, are we trying to reach a particular toga-wearing group in the community today and make them feel comfortable? You know, the Romans that might be in our midst. Well, uh, many of you know that there's one here. Hey, just yelled. The uh, this week's Galilee by the Sea. When we join together and explore that the church in the first century. In first century Rome, and uh, you're in the, the tail end here of a construction project where we're um, changing this into the Roman Colosseum. You've seen it also in the atrium and then in the catacombs in the basements of the, ministerial, of the minister, uh, ministry center. And uh, we're almost finished, just got the punch list really to go through. And we'll finish it up and be ready to start uh, tomorrow evening. Um, there's information in your bulletin, information in the atrium, and if um, hopefully you are ready to come and inviting and bringing some friends with you to participate. It's also very appropriate for today as we look at this particular passage from Paul to the church in Corinth. It's Second Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> page 939 in your pew Bible. We'll start at verse 6. And it's uh, not the clearest passage in the world. And part of it is, is a, a problem with reading the letters of the New Testament. I mean, we're only, it's like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. You know, you just never really know what's going on on the other side and exactly what the side you're hearing is is talking about. So we'll, this will be a good reminder to us that this letter comes out of the first century, comes out of Corinth and deals specifically with some of the issues that Paul was addressing there. Let's, uh, so again, invite you to turn to page 939 or read along on the screen. But um, if you uh, open your Bibles, keep them open because we'll be coming back to them. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do indeed sing of your love forever. And uh, we now uh, desire to receive from you your, your wisdom, your truth, as you speak to us from your written word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 6. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, 
knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. But we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciousness. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And He died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know Him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now Paul is in a real struggle with the church in Corinth and with the the, the people in Corinth. uh, There's a lot of the the culture and the structure of what's important there is not what's important to God and not what's important to Paul. Uh, So there's there's a real battle within the church. There are people that want to follow Paul, and there are people that say that Paul really is uh, not good enough to be their teacher. Some of you might relate real well to those people. Because being in Rome, there was a great value to public performance. A great value, you know, in the the whole Roman theater to to rhetorical flair and to to personal presentation. And Paul did not ascribe to that presentation of the gospel. He he was not prone to rhetorical flair. He was not prone to to emotionalism, was not prone to the uh, flamboyant presentation because he didn't want it to take away from the essence of the gospel. You can go back and look at chapter 4, the part of the letter just before it, that famous part where Paul talks about what he presents as the gospel. What is important is who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who God is, and the reality of the Holy Spirit. That's what's important. And that is the treasure of the good news. And he, like anyone who presents the message of the gospel, is simply a clay pot that carries the treasure. So, in, in Corinth, there were many who said Paul really did not measure up to what a good teacher should be. Uh, later in the, uh, earlier in the letter, he refers to the super apostles that evidently were in competition with Paul. And what is crucial from this part of the letter, what's crucial for us, what's crucial to Corinth then, is that what is important, what is that we value, we value Not the outer appearance, which is what was so important in the days of Rome, but our heart, our soul, our devotion to God. In Rome, they valued the outer appearance and the presentation. They valued the ritual. And they didn't value the heart and the soul. 
the, the spiritual is more than ritual. I mean, it is the very inner person is being changed and transformed that then impacts the outer person. It impacts what we do. So it's not that ritual in itself is bad, but it's bad if it becomes the end in itself. If the outer appearance becomes the end in itself and is not a reflection of our soul or doesn't lead us to the transformation of our soul. See, the the key of spirituality is not to modify our behavior. We are not, as Dallas Willard says, a sin modification program. We are not in that. We are in a community that is seeking Jesus together so that He will transform our very heart and our very soul and transform us from the inside out. Lily Bell is a friend of mine. who's a member of a previous church. When Lily Bell was born, like all of us, she was born broken. Just for her, that brokenness was obvious. In a very severely diminished intellectual capacity and in a slightly malformed outer appearance. You know, it just didn't meet the acceptable standards of the day, which led to uh, much abuse for her. As I'm sure some of you can relate, I've probably been more on the giving end of that to those that didn't look the same as me. You know, the elementary school playground can be a vicious place. For Lily Bell, it wasn't just the elementary school playground. It was wasn't just a playground down the street. It was in her own home that she was abused. And about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, she became part of what's called the, the L'Arche community. Any of you that have read any Henry Nouwen or you heard of Jean Vanier, he was the founder of L'Arche. It's a, a community of, of people of, of the whole breadth of intellectual capacities from very little to a lot who, who live together in a community They pool their resources together and they become true family to one another in Christ. And and Lily Bell uh, lived in that community and some of the folks in that community worshipped with us. And I'm told that when she came there 20 years ago, because of all the hatred she'd received, she was really quite violent and just mean. Because... What the world told her was, what the world said was important, she didn't have. That was the same situation in Paul's day. In the Roman world, the body, the outer appearance, was what was important. That's why Paul begins in verse 6 talking about being in the body and out of the body and being at home in the body or away from the body. And, and it refers a lot of that in the, the whole passage. But the, the, the reason is because in Corinth they valued the body so highly. They, they valued physical appearance. And what Paul tells them and he tells us that we live not according to physical appearance. We live not by sight, but by faith. To be spiritual is to live by faith. 
The Old Testament lesson of any of you that read the lectionary for today is that famous story of picking uh, David as king. And the, the, the prophet comes in to, to Jesse to, to say, who's the king? That one of your sons is the king. And he brings all the sons in. You know, one was the, the National Honor Society. One was the, you know, the president uh, of the Jerusalem High School. The other was the star football player. You know, at, but no, none of them are, are the king, the one that's after God's heart. Well, we got one more, but he's the one that's just taking care of the sheep. He's really sort of weird. Bring him in. And indeed it was King David who was a man after God's own heart. We, as people who follow the way of Jesus, we live not by sight, but by faith. We value the inner person over the outer appearance in ourselves and in others. Let me say that one more time. We value the inner person over the outer appearance in ourselves and in others. Didn't hear many amens on that one. (laughs) Part of it is because I think we stink at it. I do. I stink at it. And I hate it. I hate it that how my initial value system is according to physical appearance. I hate it that I am drawn to those who meet my criteria of being physically attractive and am repulsed by those who don't. And I fear it is severely ingrained in us. It's everywhere that we turn. And it's lived out. I mean, think of all the money and time that we spend on our outer appearance, on our hair color and style. For some of us, our tan. For some, it's whether we're ashen or not. For some, it's cosmetics, body shape, the appearance of our face. And the billions of dollars that we spend on elective cosmetic surgery. Lily Bell was judged by her outer appearance. How she looked. How she talked. And it was vicious. Thankfully, she became part of a community that sought to follow Jesus. And they judged not by sight, but by faith. And the other side is that the body isn't evil. You you see our our culture in the main responds to the body as being the ultimate. There's another part of our culture that just can't fit into that. So they run to the other side and they harm themselves, cutting themselves. It's not that the body is bad either. I mean, the body is a creation of God. And it is to be used for good. And... Paul continues then his writings to the Corinth. We live by faith and not by sight. In verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, whether we are in our body or out of our body, uh, he's talking about being at home with Jesus, which is when we're out of our body because we see him face to face. Or if we're away then uh, from Jesus, we're in our body. It doesn't matter. Wherever we are, in any case, our aim 
is to please Him. Really, our ambition is what the Word is. Our ambition, our inner pursuit is to please Jesus. That, that is our treasure. Because, verse 10, if we live by faith, we know this. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. This is our ambition. This is what grabs us. This is what motivates us. This is the reason that we live. Ambition here isn't bad. Just like the body isn't bad. I mean, everybody has ambition just like everybody has a body. What is the direction of our ambition? What are the the ways that we use our body? Our goal... Our ambition then is to use our body in order to please Jesus because He is our judge and perfectly good. Jesus' ambition is pure. I mean, Jesus lived by faith perfectly and not by sight. He lived according to the ways of heaven, according to the ways of God, not according to the ways of the world. I think that's why the lily bells of the world were always drawn to Him and mobbed Him. But you might be saying, wait a minute. Let me read that again. Judgment. He's going to judge us. I thought our judgment was complete. That it was that Jesus took care of our judgment. That we are not going to be judged before God. But in a way, that's true. In that Jesus has secured our relationship with God. We are not condemned in Him. We rest in His righteousness and His goodness. So God's wrath is not lived upon us. But because of Jesus, we do see God face to face. And by the very appearance of Jesus with us, there will be judgment. We will finally be rid and be made aware not only of what He did that was good within us, but ways that we have fallen short. And we will experience that judgment before Him. I mean, Peter says the same thing. He says that judgment begins with the household of God. I mean, if indeed it's possible for Jesus to tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant, it's also possible for Him to tell us, not well done. Jesus tells us, communicates to us what is right by His very presence. Just His very nature before us will bring about a sense of judgment. And Paul's not using that to beat over the heads. Hey, this is the truth. This is the faith in which we live by. I mean, Jesus is the one that shows us what is right. I mean, if you study for a test, right, you want to know that what the... What you're to to study, right? You want to know what the answer key is. Well, Jesus is the answer key, in a sense. And when we come before Him, His very presence will bring 
a lot of things. I mean, grace abounding, love beyond measure, but also judgment before us. I mean, it's, I do get to experience that once, every once in a while, not because of any righteousness of mine, but because of my title. I, I very rarely tell anybody that I'm a pastor. I try to keep it a secret as long as I can. And every once in a while, you know, being in a conversation with folks, it happened last night even at the, the pools with a conversation with somebody. And then somebody shared, hey, uh, yeah, he's the pastor at College Hill, the Presbyterian. And you could see the person sort of stop and open their eyes, sort of look up. And you just know in the back, they're recounting. What have they said? What have they done? Uh, but we were, ta- we were talking about the pool and swimming and other things. We weren't talking about anything of really significance, you know, just enjoying one another. And yet the very title, you know, brings that uh, sense. And Jesus' very presence with us will bring a sense of judgment. I mean, that's what Paul says. But again, that's not dread. It's not a a fear of run scared. It is a fear of that sense of awe, of what the Proverbs say, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord because living by faith, we know that what Jesus did and what He said is true and that is the gauge by which we live. That is the, the fear, the appropriate fear of the Lord. Yes, perfect love casts out fear. And, and we know when we appear before Jesus, there will be no fear in this judgment. Just recognition. Yeah, you're right. For we know that God, that Jesus will, will judge us according to His perfect love. Just as we practiced together a few moments ago as Beth was leading us into the light that day will be one of perfect light that will reveal the truth eternally we will come before Christ knowing that Jesus will shoot it straight with us so we live for him We live for Him today with sometimes the immature, impure motives of avoiding punishment, sometimes the pure motives of wanting to please Him and knowing that He is good no matter what. But Paul doesn't obsess with this personal judgment, nor does he use it to beat us over the head. He says, because this is true, even looking forward to that day of truth being revealed completely and totally, he then says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we go tell other people about it. We want to persuade others of this truth so that they too might live by the eternal faith of God, not by the temporal sight of this world. If we just walk through these verses, again, they're rather confusing. I think they point out how Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinth of what truly is spiritual. To live by faith, to seek to please Jesus. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. See, we getting at there again. You hear the issue at Corinth? 
I mean, the, in, in the day, a teacher was one who was supposed to be good-looking lo- and flamboyant with rhetorical skill. And Paul is neither, and I'm glad to be one of Paul's followers. For if we, verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. See, the flamboyance of some of the false teachers in Corinth in that day was their use uh, or abuse of the spiritual gifts of being flamboyant in front, speaking in tongues excessively and other things so as to build themselves up, to show themselves to be more spiritual than others. And Paul refused to do that in Corinth. That's why he said when he's, beyond, when he's beside himself, when he is overwhelmed with God, that's between him and God, and he left it there. But with Corinth... He was in his right mind when he spoke to them so that, again, they would not be about him, but they would be about the truth of Jesus. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now he gets back to the the main point. The, the, The spiritual is not the outer appearance. It's not the flamboyance. It's about the heart. It's about a changed heart. And the only way to have a changed heart is for Christ's love to control us. Even here, the love of Christ urges us on. It seems a little weak to me. The word is one that is about controlling you. What consumes you? What, what seizes you? What, what, and, and what are you absorbed? Again, compare our, our absorption in outer appearance versus our absorption in the love of Jesus. I mean, one is always a losing proposition. Things are always going to move towards drooping. And wrinkling. You know, it's just a losing and, and graying and you know, moving downward. You know, it's just what happens. But the love of Christ, that controls us. And it does change us from the inside out. And, and that's what, what leads us then. To follow Jesus as judge and here as Savior. You know, it's Paul. It puts both here as judge and now as Savior. It's this love of Christ that led Jesus. His ambition was to pursue the will of the Father perfectly. What controlled him was the very love of the Father. And it led him to live for the Father and to live for others and to die for us. And when this love that Christ has for us, not our love for Christ, but His love for us, when it so overtakes us, then we do the same. Every so often, there's sermons that I think I preach for you. And then there are times where there are sermons that really I preach for me and y'all get to be here. And here is one of those instances where glad you're here. Because for me, as I was reflecting on this, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. As a church, we are seeking and trying to pursue Jesus with all of our ambition. And in so doing, we feel that Jesus is leading us into, into new avenues of ministry into new ways of doing what we're doing, to, to, to look more and more like heaven, 
to truly be a Jubilee community. And for some folks, that doesn't work for them. As they're seeking to pursue Jesus, that just does not connect with them. Now, for others, it does. But you know how we, you know, is it nine positives for every one negative? But for those that doesn't work, then they move on to a, a place they feel would be better for them to pursue Jesus. And as easy as I can say that and let those words roll off my tongue, it's still hard. Matter of fact, it's rather and a rather major producer of anxiety within me. Because I'm living by sight instead of by faith. I mean, I want the numbers to go up as much as anybody. Whether it's attendance, offering, baptisms, conversions. And when they don't, then living by sight produces an anxiety. This week, in praying with some friends and doing some reading together and reflecting and through this passage, I heard, in a sense, felt a nudging from the Spirit. Hey, Drew, what controls you? What urges you on? My love or appearances? What I heard from Jesus for me and for us, the point isn't to try harder. It's not to do better. It's not to to love Jesus more. Now, Paul's charge to the Corinthians and to us is to let Jesus love you more. Be with Him. Let His love control you. Let Him make you into a new creation. That's verse 17. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You know what everything means in the Greek? Everything. (laughs) Means everybody. In Christ, when His love controls us, then we are a part of that new creation. That, that new creation, that heaven on earth, that thing that we pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we are a part of in Him. Everything becomes new in Him as we live out heaven on earth or as we seek to live out the ways of Jesus, as we seek to please Him over anyone or anything else, as we seek to live by faith and not by sight. His love controls us, no matter what our physical appearance, no matter our intellectual acumen, our social skills, our sports prowess, or our emotional control. It doesn't matter. In Him, we're made new together. We are made part of His new creation. We are given the direction and the power of His Spirit, even the ability to live according to heaven, to live by faith, not by sight. To have our ambition reordered to Him. 
We believe together, whether we're the young or the very oldest, whether we're smart or that we're dumb, whether we're good looking or whether we're ugly, fast or slow, coordinated or can't chew gum and walk at the same time. In Christ, we are made a part of what He has created that is new. Everyone, no matter what. After about, I'm told, 15, 16 years of living in Christian community, intentional Christian community, Lily Bell really started to make a change. She started to be controlled by the love of Christ that was evident and manifest in those that were around her. And today, she's one of the greatest Christians I know. According to the world, she doesn't have much. Neither looks, smart, skill, money. But she lives for God. Lives for God better than anybody I think I've ever met. She gives away 40% of the money she makes in her little job to poor children in Colombia. She serves regularly at the church, has become an honorary deacon. And you know, I can't wait to see Lily Bell again in heaven where things will be made right. And she will indeed be my pastor. Amen.